Cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys who use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, November 20th, 2012. I I think I should probably (laughs) just get into the program today and play our warning going to be a weird ride. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, Help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. Now, listen, there's a lot of folks out there who are down on dogma and claim that doctrine divides. And, and you know, it, it, when they throw those slogans out, I mean, they sound so pious. See, the problem is, is that <laughs> the Bible actually speaks very well of sound doctrine and speaks very poorly of, of, of false doctrine. Um, and <laughs> And so when somebody, you know, with a clerical collar on, or maybe maybe one of those bishops' robes, or you know somebody wearing uh, Birkenstock sandals and a and a, and a you know, Hawaiian shirt on stage, you know when they they talk about oh, we're into deeds and not creeds, things like that. Yeah, but see when they do stuff like that, they with the <laughs> I mean they couldn't be more at odds with what God's word clearly says that it's actually kind of frightening. So um, what we do here at Fighting for the Faith is, well, we challenge folks that kick around those kind of concepts and teach things like that and see if it squares with what God's Word says in context. Yeah, you see, because here's what it boils down to, is that you and I, um, unless, of course, you've had like one of those near-death experiences, um, the, the rest of us who haven't had those experiences – probably have not seen God face to face, at least not knowingly. And so as a result of it, you know, we haven't been able to go down and have, you know, a latte or a mocha with him over at Starbucks. You know, we haven't been able to kick it with him, you know, with the homies and things like you see, we haven't been able to do any of that stuff. And so if God hasn't revealed anything about who he is and what he's done and what he's all about, we probably know 
pretty much next to nothing. And you're sitting there going, well, we have nature. Well, yes, we do have nature. But um, tell me what's the message that nature gives us? Um, you know, when you look out at nature, you sit there and go, well, look at the sunsets. Well, yes, they're beautiful. They're pretty. I, I, I enjoy sunsets from time to time. I even photograph them. I, one of my favorite hobbies is photography. So yes, I, I understand that, that, um, sunsets and bunny rabbits and, and, and flowers and things like that all kind of say that there's really this really nice God out there. But then you get things like, tornadoes and earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes and and you know and animals that kill people and things like that and you, you, you so what's the message that all that sends you see the reason I, I say this is because um you know as much as we want to you know look at nature and say that it's telling us this message pretty much the message that it's telling us is that there is a god he created all this stuff and uh we better get busy figuring out who who he is and hopefully he's revealed something about himself otherwise we're we're kind of in the dark here and so here's the idea is that in the bible we have god's revelation of himself he takes time to explain to us how we got here what went wrong and what he's done, not doing, but done to fix the problem. Now, he's currently still doing something in the sense that uh, we Christians are to go out and proclaim the good news of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus to call all the people in the world to repent of their sins and to be forgiven. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation and get to announce to the world that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not holding men's trespasses against them, that kind of stuff, right? You see, that's what we get to do. But see, um, when then it kind of begs the question, well, how do you know that the Bible's true? Not a bad question. Not a bad question at all. In fact, that's a great question. Well, plain and simple, I hang everything on Jesus. Everything on Jesus. I, in fact, I don't really like to go philosophical because uh, even though I know all of the philosophical arguments for the existence of God and, and stuff like that, and um, I, they, they, when you succeed at, at winning a, an argument using philosophy, you haven't made somebody a Christian. Um, you've made them a deist. Or a theist, and that's see. There's lots of theists out there that aren't Christians, and so yeah, I'm not trying to convince people that there is a God out there. No, 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 no. no, no. There's a specific one, it, it, and a very, very specific one. One who actually came to Earth and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Any of that sound familiar? But anyway, so the idea is, is that when it comes to how do we know the Bible's true, you hang everything on Jesus, and it's real simple. Here you go. Jesus claimed to be, or you get, get this, none other than God in human flesh. That's who he claimed to be. He claimed to be the one true God in human flesh. Not just any God, by the way. He didn't claim to be Baal. He didn't claim to be Molech. He didn't claim to be Asherah, although that would have been strange. Um, no, he, he claimed to be none other than the Yahweh of the Old Testament in human flesh. Okay, that's who he claimed to be. And when challenged regarding his authority to do the things that he said and did, Jesus, well, gave a very interesting response. He says, tear down this temple, and I'll build it again in three days. Now, the Jews were, you know, because Jesus said this in the temple complex, thought that he was talking about, you know, the, the stone temple there. But he wasn't. He was talking about the temple of his 
body. That's what John tells us. And see, Jesus really is the last temple. And so here's the idea. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead like he claimed to be, uh, like he claimed to that he would, well, then he is who he claimed to be, and that's God in human flesh. And so the, here's real simple, okay? Jesus Christ died, rose again. His, I, his resurrection was witnessed by over 500 people, okay? The eyewitnesses recorded all of this stuff for us, not all 500 of them, but if you can find this in the, New, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. That's eyewitness testimony recorded for us there. And uh, he, here's the idea, since he claimed to be God in human flesh, not just any God, but the God of the Jews, the Old Testament God in human flesh, proved it by raising himself from the grave, then here's the idea. We really ought not to have a different view of Scripture, well, than Jesus' view. You, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, that would be kind of silly uh, because no one in the, nobody on the planet, not today or ever, has better credentials than Jesus to tell us whether or not the Bible's true. And wouldn't you know it, he actually claimed that the Bible, the, the Old Testament that he had at that time, is nothing less than the very Word of God, and it can't be broken. Um, and and he believed in a historical Adam and Eve. He believed in, in a worldwide global flood and that Noah was a real person. He, he claimed that he knew Abraham, like personally as a bud, you know. And so all that stuff, it's real simple. You find the bones of Jesus Christ moldering out there somewhere in the Judean wilderness, maybe some, you know, a uh, rocket from Hamas, you know, hits a patch of dirt and, they, and up comes Jesus' bones. Well, if that happens, then Christianity isn't true. Plain and simple. You shouldn't believe it. But since the, the tomb was empty, and even Jesus' opponents acknowledge that, and the reason why his tomb was empty is because he rose again on the third day like he claimed he was going to rise, uh, well, then we ought not have a different view of Scripture than he has. That seems kind of silly because neither you nor me nor anybody else has better credentials than Jesus. Oh, and by the way, he promised the apostles, yeah, the, he promised them that that he would you, that the Holy Spirit would help bring to mind all that he said and taught. And so um, Jesus puts his stamp of approval on the writings of the apostles before they ever set uh, pen, quill, and uh, quill, ink, and paper to, you know, you know, to write down the things that he had done. And so, yeah, it's probably not a good idea to to cross Jesus on these things. Oh, and by the way, you know what he said? Uh, the Bible, or who he said the Bible was about? Yeah, he said it was about him. He did. Um, <laughs> Jesus at several places, you know, like Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he opens up the scriptures and points out to his own disciples who he at that point had miraculously kept from recognizing him, that the Bible's about him. Starting, you know, with Moses and the prophets, he, all, he told them all the things about him in the, in the scriptures. And, uh, and Jesus chastised the, chastised the Pharisees, says, you diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but you refuse to come to me. Yet they are the very scriptures that testify about me. And you refuse to come to me to have life. So they're, they're listen. It, it's God's word. It's it's infallible. It's inerrant. It's inspired. It's true. And uh, I hang all of that on Jesus. You have a different of opinion opinion of the Bible than Jesus. Yeah, not so good. That's that's well, actually, kind of foolish. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to get to uh, the uh, some of the segments uh, stuff that I wanted to get to yesterday that we didn't get to. Um, and yeah, I'm just trying to figure out where do I start with this today? Um, I, I think I'll start with the satirical piece. It, we'll start with a little bit of satire from Lark News. Uh, the headline reads, Megachurch downsizes and cuts non-essential members. It, 
even though this is satire, I mean, this is so close to the mark. Yeah, it makes me wonder if the if we if we did a little poking around, if we'd find out that there was a church out there who actually that actually did this. Uh, we'll then uh, switch gears and go to the Museum of Idolatry and listen into the Beatles Mass. Yeah, a communion service at St. Paulus. <clears throat> I can't even say the word. It's it, it, they they the name of the church is St. Paulus Lutheran Church, but see, it's part of the ELCA in San Francisco. So I, it's not really Lutheran. There's nothing Lutheran about it except for the name. And so it's more like St. Paulus Apostate Church in San Francisco and their Beatles Mass conducted by their transgendered um, pastrix, which is awkward and kind of weird to explain. I'll have to get there. Um, and uh, then we'll uh, take a break. And when we come back, we're going to listen to a Patricia King gang update and uh, listen to a gentleman by the name of Jim Barthel talking about the importance of possessing your promised land which will kind of create the hermeneutical problem for the day that we will that we will then kind of continue with into the sermon review uh today and we will uh it, lord willing we'll also get to a a quick story uh just uh, regarding the south carolina diocese and their vote to split from the episcopal church there's a great quote in there that i want to get to sermon review today we'll be going to uh, troy gramling's uh potential church unfortunately they're not really a church anymore um, at one time uh, they were uh, flamingo road baptist church and uh, were pastored by Dan Sutherland, who claimed to receive a vision from God to uh, to do church for the unchurched. He had a battle with his elders. He ended up winning that battle, and um, and at one at some point in the, you know after that time, after he had transitioned it into a purpose driven, seeker driven, seeker sensitive uh, congregation, handed the uh, handed the congregation over to Troy Gramling, and uh, Troy Gramling no sooner got in the pulpit that he changed the name to potential church, and so they're not really a church anymore. They're just a church in potentia. And if you remember, I think it was last year, um, I reviewed a Christmas sermon at Troy Gramlings where he, I literally awarded him with the worst Christmas sermon ever preached in the history of the church. Yeah, and, and uh, so it was. it's kind of interesting because uh, he took last weekend off um, so that he can prepare for the sermon that he preached this past Sunday. And so, you know, he invited Clay Nesmith from Barefoot, who, you know, the guy we, you know, we reviewed a sermon of his last, uh, yesterday. But he, so he had, uh, he had Clay Nesmith, the uh, pitch hit for him uh, at P- P- uh, Potential Church, not really a church, just a church in Potentia, um, at, you know, the weekend before. And so, you know, it's, I, my, immediately my question was, since the, uh, Troy decided to kick off the Christmas season two days ago, um, I think the name of the sermon is called Christmas Magic One. So he's doing a whole series called Christmas Magic. So this is his first Christmas sermon. I, it just makes me wonder, after, after um, winning the worst Christmas sermon ever preached in the history of the Christian Church Award last year, if he really wanted to make sure that he didn't um, <laughs> put another contender out there for that coveted award. And so I, was, I listened very intently, and I'm, I'm happy to report that he attempted. He really, really, really tried to try to make this a biblical sermon, and he really, 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 really failed, as you will hear in hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. So 
That's what we're going to do today. Make yourself comfortable. Fuzzy bunny slippers, if you got them, you probably will want to wear They do enhance your listener experience, by the way. Um, if you don't have a pair of fuzzy bunny slippers uh, to listen to Fighting for the Faith, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the left-hand side, you'll see we have a couple of different uh, uh, recommended fuzzy bunny slipper options for you that will enhance your listener experience. I need to play our warning today before we get into anything, so uh, here we go. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouthitosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. Okay, from Lark News. Lark News. Now, that should tip you off. This is satire, but it's so close to the mark. It, yeah. The headline reads, Mega Church Downsizes and Cuts Non-Essential Members, from LarkNews.com. Uh, Dateline, uh, Winston-Salem, uh, Julie and Bob Clark were stunned to receive a letter from their church in July asking them to, quote, participate in the life of the church or worships elsewhere. Uh, quote, they basically called us freeloaders, says Julie. We, we were freeloaders, says Bob. And now in a trend that might signal rough times for wallflower Christians, Bellwether Megachurch Faith Community of Winston-Salem has asked non-participating members to stop attending. Uh, quote, no more Mr. Nice Church, says the executive pastor, newly hired from Singular Wireless. Uh, quote, bigger is not always better. Providing free services indefinitely to complacent Christians is not our mission. Quote, freeloading Christians were st- uh, straining the church's nursery and facility resources and harming the church's ability to reach the lost, says the pastor. Uh, and when your bottom line is saving souls, you get impatient with people who interfere with that goal. Uh, so Faith Community pol- sent polite but firm letters to families who attend church services and freebie events but never volunteer, never tithe, and do not belong to a small group or other ministry. The church estimates that of its 8,000 regular attendees, only half have volunteered in the past three years and a third have never given to the church. Quote, before now we made, it, we made people feel comfortable and welcome and tried to coax them to give a little something in return, said a staff member. Well, that's all changed. We're done being the community nanny. Surprisingly, uh, the move to disinvite people has drawn positive response from men in the community who like the idea of an in-your-face church. Quote, I thought a church that doesn't allow wussies? Wow, that rocks, says Bob Clark, who admires the church more since they told him to get lost. And uh, so he and Julie are now tithing and volunteer and volunteering. We've taken our... Our place in in church life, he says. So, yeah, this this may signal, you know, more churches doing similar things. Are you a non-essential member? I mean, are you not volunteering and and giving your money to your church? Uh, well, you could find yourself being disinvited. So, you know, watch out. You know, especially if you're part of these secret-driven megachurches, you can't just go to church expecting to be fed the word of God. Yeah, no, that you can't. No, 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 can't do that. 
All right, now I don't have any music to introduce this next segment. We'll be visiting the v- Museum of Idolatry. Um, you can find the Museum of Idolatry, by the way, at a littleleaven.com. A littleleaven.com. I happen to be the curator of the Museum of Idolatry and have been. Now, how many years have I been doing this? Five, six years? <laughs> I've been doing it for a while. Anyway, so yeah, we got we got we have the world's largest collection of artifacts of apostasy there at the Museum of Idolatry. And you'll notice that I go through seasons where I just don't update it at all and don't put any new exhibits in. And the reason for that is is just because you, when you work on this thing, it, de- it it's very depressing. Anyway, um, so this this particular exhibit is entitled Beatles Mass. Beatles Mass, and um, and uh, so here's what it says at the uh, at the exhibit at the Museum of Idolatry. Here is the Beatles Mass arranged by Pastrix, Megan Rohrer at St. Paulus. And I had to I had to strike the word Lutheran. There's nothing Lutheran about this church, St. Paulus Apostate Church in San Francisco. Now I, I, we're not 100% certain, but we think this may indeed be the abomination that causes desolation. You may have to check with William Tapley on that, though. We need a second opinion. Uh, but whether or not it is, one thing is certain: this type of thing is solemnly warned against in the Scripture, in First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, that says, "Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning." the body and blood of our Lord. Now, just just by way of strange, weird things, um, Megan Rohr, if you're not familiar with her, um, is associated to, in, to some degree with the Her Church uh, church in, um, in, in San Francisco. But see, here, here's the deal. She's, she's a she, but she was born a he. And so now we've got a problem because she passes herself off as a female pastrix, but she was born a dude. So we're not ex- exactly sure how this fits and you know the the <laughs> because here's technically it's only guys that are supposed to be pastors but since he doesn't want to be a pastor he, she he, she wants to be a pastrix it just makes all kind of things weird here but um here's just a, a little bit of music from the Beatles mass so this is a communion service and they've taken the lyrics to the song Hey Jude and uh, turned it into some kind of communion um, song that they're, yeah, listening. Yeah, in case you couldn't catch the letter, hey, Sue, that's uh, kind of the Spanglish type for Jesus. Yay, Sue. Yeah, we continue.
I gotta make something clear. That is not William Tapley on the Casio. Let's see. Yeah, I, had he shown up, although he lives on the other side of the country, had he shown up, I'm sure his cat mad Casio skills would have made this Beatles mask just that much better. All your sins are Yeah, don't forget to snap your fingers. Na, 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 na. Hey, Sue. That means Jesus. Yeah, I prefer the Agnes Day myself, and I would hate it if they beatalized it. Okay, I wow, I can't, ah, can't listen to it anymore. So there, that's uh, sampling from the Beatles Mass uh, performed by Pastrix Megan Rohrer, who was actually born a dude who's now a yeah, yeah anyway. <sighs> yeah, abomination that causes desolation, drinking and eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. I think it's all of that. You know, by the way, there's nothing great, nothing great about the great apostasy. Just saying, I'm not enjoying it one bit. All right, we are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. You can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. Uh, we got a Patricia King gang update and a good news story before we get into our sermon review. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from his mother's basement while in a beanbag eating Cheetos. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, given for you. This do in remembrance of me. 
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Who are you that you would disrupt our worship of our most holy Lord Jesus Christ? What? I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear you. Time travel has a weird way of messing with my eardrums. I asked you who you were. What is this about time travel? Oh, yeah, about that. What year is this? He doesn't seem too bright, does he? Silence. The year is 65 AD, and I ask you once again, who are you? The name is Haas, Peter Haas. I see. Would you kindly leave our presence so that we can continue with the Lord's Supper? Oh, yeah, sure. I'll be out of your hair and... Wait, wait, wait a minute. Did you, did you say Lord's Supper? Told you he wasn't bright. Silence. Yes, I did say Lord's Supper. And this is, in fact, 65 A.D.? Again, yes. Well, that doesn't make any sense. What doesn't make any sense? Well, I guess it would make sense that I would stumble into a house of Pharisees. Excuse me? Well, yeah. It's common knowledge that communion was never meant to be part of a church service. I don't follow. Well, you see, it's stuff like communion and expository Bible teaching that gets in the way of people really experiencing Jesus. Uh, I'm sorry, but are you a Gnostic? No, I'm a pastor. That doesn't answer the question. But I'm a pastor. Well, Pastor Haas, it seems as though you have your facts wrong. During services, like the one before you, we as a congregation worship Jesus Christ and receive his gifts of forgiveness and mercy. What more is there to want? Oh, I get it. You're all a bunch of Judaizers. Uh, we're Gentiles. None of us here are Jewish. Well, um, uh, at least you guys don't use music in church. I don't know what devilry has bewitched your senses. We always sing hymns and psalms during the service. Hey, that's not right. Music isn't supposed to be part of the church until the 1700s. Not as sharp as a soggy pancake, that one is. I'm beginning to agree with you. Are we to believe that you're a pastor? Uh, duh! Well, you're easily one of two things. You're either one, a heretic hell-bent on destroying Christianity with your vile filth, or you're simply a buffoon who is having delusions of grandeur. You're just a hater! Oh, but am I? You claim to be a pastor in the service of Jesus Christ, and yet you seem to know nothing of our early church history or of the means of grace so blatantly set forth by Jesus and his disciples? Uh, well, uh... Where'd you get your seminarian degree from? <laughs> DeVry. <laughs> Silence! No, Cassius, I believe that school, as poor as it is in its educational content, would have at least taught him something. How do you ever expect to experience Jesus if you're just a bunch of closed-minded... Enough! We've had our fill of your empty words. You obviously know nothing about the way, and are hereby expelled from our midst. But I'm published! Any lump of flesh with half a pulse can vomit meaningless words onto parchment. It's the substance of the words that makes the difference and are what's important. Your lack of knowledge is astounding. Now again, leave. Who do you think you are that you can boss me around? I'm a vision-casting leader in the church of the 21st century! This is a Christian church of Berea. I think I can speak for all witnesses here that you are not worthy of the title of pastor. I wouldn't even hire you for a stable boy. Now get out of the church, you wolf in sheep's clothing.
Hello, I'm Brandon House with Worldview Weekend. I want to invite you to visit our website, worldviewweekend.com, and find out about my brand new book, Religious Trojan Horse. This is a book I've been working on for two and a half years, and it describes in great detail how the left and the right are coming together both religiously and spiritually to build a false dominant church. You can find all the details at worldviewweekend.com. Again, it's Religious Trojan Horse. It's 500 pages, over 600 footnotes. Now, while you're at worldviewweekend.com. I'd like you also to check out our Situation Room. You can have access to over $8,000 in Biblical Worldview Weekend resources, including over 1,400 MP3s of my daily radio show and Biblical Worldview Weekend keynote presentations. You can also watch about 150 of our Worldview Weekend DVDs on demand as a member of the Situation Room. Full details for that are at situationroom.net. Situationroom.net. You can also visit our website and find out about our free Biblical Worldview Weekend rallies held all over the country. All the details are at worldviewweekend.com. Do you find it hard to shop for the geek in your life? Well, if so, we have got a fantastic new featured advertiser for you to visit. It's Think Geek. This is a well thought out and hilarious gift store. And what you need to do is visit our website first, piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek, and then click on the ad banner, and then a portion of your purchase will actually go to support Pirate Christian Radio. Trust me, these gifts are hilarious, from wacky office gifts to Star Trek paraphernalia to Star Wars stuff, anything that would really kind of light up the life of the geek in your life. Trust me, you'll love it. They're smart funny and the geek in your life will really enjoy them again piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek all right we're back Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could, well, cause your brain to explode. So take all of the proper precautions. It's it's really bad out there. Again, nothing great about the great apostasy. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio, and we truly do depend upon your generous gifts, financial contributions, to keep bringing Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. Have you considered giving the gift of Fighting for the Faith? If you haven't, you ought to, because if you've benefited from this program, the, the chances are that other people would benefit from it as well. And uh, and one of the things that I feel very strongly about is making our archives, all of all of the episodes of Fighting for the Faith, available for free. But what I mean by that is is that you, you know, not requiring somebody to pay first in order to download them, so that. Uh, we can reach as many people as possible, uh, not put any barriers in their way so that they can, well, for lack of a better way of putting it, be confronted with good, solid biblical doctrine, Christian apologetics, and discernment so that they won't be deceived or can free themselves from the clutches of uh, a wolf who's deceiving them. So if you don't already partner with us, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. There you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. Uh, the one says donate, the other says join our crew. The join our crew, you can, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month. That's it, not much. Every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, 
contribute, do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And just a reminder, we are in our November bake sale to help us make budget. And uh, and what you need to do if you would like to participate in our November bake sale where we've made a few items available to our listeners, uh, namely a, a Pirate Christian Radio Christmas bulb. Um, we still have some of my mother's uh, mother-in-law's uh, beaded bracelets that she made for uh, our listeners, as well as we still have a few T-shirts left from the summer bake sale. So the way you would uh, get those is go to piratechristianradio.com, piratechristianradio.com forward slash bake sale. You'll see them. Pick them up. And thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Okay, moving along. All right, from the Patricia King gang over at XP Media, the name of this portion of this video that we're going to be listening to is entitled Possessing Your Promised Land. Possessing Your Promised Land. Now, what I want you to do as you're listening to this video uh, soundbite is, um, is pay attention to the hermeneutic that you're hearing employed by Jim Barthel of XP Media. Okay, and what I mean by that is is that this is a common hermeneutical error that he will be engaging in in this video, and you can tell right off the bat. Okay, whenever you hear a Bible teacher say something like "You need to, um, you you need to pray circles around your Jericho," well, um, um, I don't have a Jericho. What are you talking about? I need to pray circles around my Jericho. What does that mean? Or, you know, something like, you need to take possession of your promised land. I'm, I'm not promised a promised land. Why would I need to take possession of it? I mean, what are you talking about? See, what, hap- what, what this is, is this is a form of allegorizing that basically takes the biblical text, wrestles them away from what they're really saying in order to make them about you. Okay? See, here's the deal. I, I hate to break it to you, but God hasn't promised you a promised land other than citizenship in the heavenly kingdom, citizenship in the new earth when Christ returns in glory to judge both the living and dead, then at that point we will possess the earth. That's our promised land. But see, you don't have any other promised land aside from that. And this side of Christ's return, yeah, you, they, um, you know, you're just sojourning here. Okay, so when somebody starts talking about, you know, the five things, the five keys or something like that, that you need to uh, make use of in order for you to possess your promised land, that's a dead giveaway that whoever is speaking like this has no clue what they're doing as far as handling the biblical text. So without any further ado, here is Jim Barthel and the five keys for possessing your promised land. Um, Here we go. Gilgal, we get a chance from relying on God's hand, the manna that he gave through the desert. Maybe you've been getting manna throughout this tough period. Maybe you've been just getting by. It just seems like money just shows up at the right time when you need it. You're getting ready to enter into Gilgal. You're getting ready. Really? <laughs> Hold on. Okay, we're picking this up kind of partway through his uh, lecture here. And um, the, there's a slide that's up on the screen. It says promised land entering our wandering in the desert ends when we are increased. And when God's purpose has been established, apparently we get to enter in Gilgal. And so are, are you, are you in a position where it, well, you feel like the money that you're getting on a, you know, day to day basis is like manna, you know, it's just 
your daily bread and never anything more. You, you can't seem to amass wealth for yourself. Well, uh, this is, apparently this is not a good thing because uh, earlier in the video, and I, I didn't play this part, part that, um, uh, well, Jim Barthel believes that God wants everybody in the kingdom rich. Yeah, if you're not rich, well, you're doing something wrong. And so, but the good news is if you're, if you're up to the manna stage, then you're about ready to enter Gilgal. Ready. The Lord is preparing you to enter into the promised land. And in the promised land, no longer will the Lord just be giving you that manna. You're going to be living off the good of the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to be living in a land. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, yeah, the, the land I'm promised is that I'll inherit the earth. Um, see, that's, you know. That's, see, that's the thing. Um, I, the, I don't have a promised land here. I'm sojourning and passing through. And no, the Bible does not promise me wealth, and I don't have a promised land. Now you've taken the concept of a promised land and allegorized it in such a way that somehow God has this, this mythical, magical promised land for me today. And, and I'll be able to, it'll be a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm not, listen, I've, I live in central Indiana, okay? Yeah, I look around, okay? This is not a land flowing with milk and honey. They grow corn here. Yeah. That you're going to inherit the wealth and the cities and the crops you didn't put there. The Lord stole. What would I do with a corn crop? Pouring that up. So how do we get there? So what it requires is a kingdom-based strategy and the means of tracking and measuring our progress. We've got to maximize our return on investment on the kingdom capital. So what? What are you talking about? I don't re remember when the children of Israel went into the promised land and took it that they you know, maximized their investment on kingdom cap. Were they investing in the Israeli stock market? What are you talking about here? Fulfill our kingdom destiny. This uh, spirit, uh, this kingdom capital is something the Lord put on my heart. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go again. Somebody had claiming God put something on their heart. That, seriously. That's like saying, well, God gave me a steak, but before he gave me a steak, he went ahead and threw it in the trash can first. Yeah, you think I want to eat that thing after that? No way. I mean, if God put something on your heart, I don't want to touch that or hear that. I mean, because Jesus himself said out of the heart comes all kinds of yuck stuff. I mean, like... Murder, theft, adultery. I mean, sin is what comes out of our heart. Don't, uh, haven't you read that about Jesus? Why on earth would I want to listen to anything God laid on your, quote, heart? That if we think about it from a venture capital standpoint. From a what? <laughs> so, okay. So if you're in a manna stage, don't worry. That's a sign that you're about ready to enter your Gilgal. But you have to learn how to get the mac. You have to maximize your investment. Uh, using the kingdom capital from a venture capital point of, huh? Yeah, we receive funds from outside investors, and, and we're, we're held accountable to use those funds to maximize the return on investment. But think about this. The Lord has been investing in you your whole life. He's put you in the place he, he needed to put you. He's opened the doors. He's introduced you to those people. He's given you the education. He's given you the knowledge. He's given you these things. All with this long-term plan in mind. So what's my ROI? I mean, good. I, I need a, I need some new math books or something. If any of you out there know about Kingdom Venture Capital um, and how we can properly equate what's what our ROI? What's our debt to equity ratio? 
when it comes to kingdom capital and stuff like good night we got to come up with a whole new set of investment metrics and things like that so that we can all possess our promised land using venture capital um i but if we're too quick we're gonna miss the opportunity that was there just like in venture wait 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 how is it that if you're too quick you're gonna miss it if you're quick you get it if you're too slow you miss now I'm confused. For capital, there's a seed time and a harvest time. There's a growth time. If we yeah okay, so this, so this kingdom venture capitalist thing about the entering your Gilgal through the mana stage, there's there's a seed time and harvest that I gotta. Whew, this is confusing. Cash out too soon, the Lord's not going to get the return on his spiritual capital that he was planning for, and that is where we lose in the kingdom. We've talk- so, so Jesus is the cosmic um, investor in the sky? I had no idea he was a capitalist. talked about the generational loss of mantles in the kingdom. It's- <laughs> generational loss of mantles? That sounds terrible. What does it mean? <laughs> we are... One minute, 55 seconds into this portion of his talk. I have no clue what he's talking about. Completely lost. Some of it is because we didn't pay attention to what the Lord was saying as to his return on investment. God hasn't told me anything about a return on investment. That's not even in the Bible. His timing for our lives. His timing for our investment. So what the Lord has put on our heart. Yeah, again, I don't want to touch anything that's been on your heart. Yeah, I, I, listen, I got one myself. I don't want, nothing good is in there. Trust me. And we can go to the next slide. Is um, a new uh, a new model, a new business model to track. Because So we need a new business model in order to cast. To maximize our God's ROI for the... I should have been writing this down. This is difficult. You know, in business, as you guys know... I, and I have an MBA. That's the weird part. I have the balance sheet and an income statement. Yeah, I know how to read those. And cash flow statements. Yeah, they're I, great tools. And all these ways to measure my success. I've got the annual plan, and I've got to report uh, through the audit how I did, and... Fundamentally, those things tend to drive the view of my success. And what I was getting frustrated with is they had nothing to do with the kingdom. They had little to do with the kingdom. I won't say they had nothing to do with the kingdom. I I would agree. I've never looked at a cash flow statement to figure out um, whether or not the kingdom is growing. It's like, Lord... Teach us on how we can measure our success. What programs can we put in place? And what he began to show me is that clearly the gospel of salvation is the foundation of our lives and and of our kingdom. We're not even a kingdom citizen until we've accepted Jesus Christ. Yeah, actually, the good news is that he's accepted us. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird how everyone gets that backwards. Yeah, see, the good news is that Christ has accepted us. God has accepted us because of what Christ has done. Yeah. But the gospel of salvation is only the beginning. When Jesus said... Yeah, apparently you've got to figure out your ROI after that point. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It opened a whole new era. Yeah. And as the church, I think we're just really entering into that, especially in the marketplace. In the marketplace. But what holds up the gospel of the kingdom from a business standpoint, and this may apply other places, but I really feel it definitely applies in a marketplace situation. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. So, yeah. So this is a Wall Street situation. Is that 
When you read the promises in, in the New Testament, they seem to fall into four categories. They fall into a needs category, they fall into a deeds category, a feeds category, and a leads category. And that's where I want to lead us, and this is where... Uh, to, which of the apostles... Uh... And chop this all up in, into this. I want to encourage us to look at measuring success from a kingdom perspective as well as from an earthly perspective. We have, Using your kingdom capital ROI equation. We have to be good stewards and managers of the money we're given for sure. Yeah, we yeah. can't, you know, we're not going to do away with income statements and balance sheets and those types of things. Oh, good. I, yeah, glad you said that. But we need a complementary measurement system. Uh, no. <laughs> Don't you think if we needed one of those, God would have revealed it in his word? Serious. That we can measure how we're doing from a kingdom perspective. And by the way, this doesn't... What am I supposed to measure then? ...just apply to business leaders. This applies to if you're an accountant working in a business, if you're in the mailroom working in a business. You can measure the impact you're having on the kingdom by looking at these four areas, whether you're, you're working in the business or whether you own the business. Uh-huh. In fact, uh, part of being in the kingdom business is that when you're running your business, you know, we want, obviously, the Lord to be our senior partner. But more than that, I want the Lord to be my daily consultant. Oh, no. <laughs> you really, you want Jesus to be your daily consultant? Oh, yeah. Sad. See, that's all about possessing your promise land. Just make sure that Je- you know, you know, Jesus' kingdom consulting, you know, you know, my, if the person who's always there through the Holy Spirit guiding and directing me, and, and in particular with this gentleman, uh, when we were looking to expand to the East Coast, we brought this before the Lord, and uh, we had a couple of candidates. And we were really struggling with whether to hire him and what way to proceed. And um, Living in Colorado, we're pretty blessed you know, with some of these mountains. And we, I live in a mountainside, and every almost every morning and certainly on every Saturday morning, I go for a walk with God. And he meets me on the mountain and we walk. And he holds my hand and we talk. And we were struggling at that time. So you're holding hands with Jesus. Okay, that sounds awkward. Time with what to do with, with this gentleman as far as hiring him. And uh, I heard the Holy Spirit kept saying, ask for a sign. Direct revelation. And I kept re- saying, no, I'm strong. I don't have to ask for a sign, Lord. You know, you tell me what you want. I'll go ahead and do that. And I'd walk a few steps. And he says, ask for a sign. I said, all right, Lord. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to ask for a sign. Not because I'm weak. I do believe that you're going to give me the right answer. And I took one step, two steps. And I looked down. And hopefully this will make sense to, to those who you know don't hike in the hills all that often but all of a sudden what, what, what he asked me to ask he said well ask me what you want to see and i said oh okay lord uh ant- give me a deer antler because occasionally you'll run into a deer antler you know but not all that often and uh he said okay so anyways i, I said okay i'll ask for the the sign it'll be a deer antler two steps i look down and what do i see two steps in the middle of prairie there's nobody around there's nothing around I see two deer antlers. No way. Stacked on top of one another. No way. I'm like, Lord, you're, you're almost too much, the confirmation. Not only that, I pick them up. They're from the same deer. No way. <laughs> oh, man. I just, <laughs> no idea. 
what that was, but I can't take any more. Uh, moving along, last thing before we uh, take our break and then go to our sermon review. Uh, from the Christian Post, headline reads, South Carolina Diocese Votes to Split from Episcopal Church. These folks down in South Carolina, these Episcopalians down in South Carolina, they're really Anglicans. These these are about the only Anglicans that are making any sense that I can see, at least English-speaking Anglicans that are making any sense. Um, uh, the uh, article's written by Anugra uh, Kumar from the Christian Post. Here's what it says. Despite the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church writing a pastoral letter, there's an oxymoron, um, <clears throat> Catherine uh, Jeffert Shorey writing a pastoral letter. <clears throat> yeah, need I mention the fact that she's not qualified to do such a thing biblically? She's forbidden. Anyway, um, to the letter uh, to the members of the South Carolina Diocese to stay, please don't leave us. A majority of uh, parishes voted uh, to leave the denomination over its ordination of gay clergy and acceptance of same-sex unions. The vote took place at a convention organized by the South Carolina leadership. At St. Philip's Church in Charleston on Saturday, Reuters reported it followed the U.S. Episcopal Church's certification last month that South Carolina Bishop Mark J. Lawrence, who had criticized pro-gay positions of the denomination's hierarchy, had abandoned the church's doctrine, discipline, and worship. Quote, this is, this is a great quote, by the way, though. <clears throat> Listen to this quote. This has never been about who is welcome or not welcome in our church, Lawrence was quoted as saying at the convention attended by about 200 people. It's about what we shall tell them when they come. Exactly. This is never about who's welcome in the church or who's not welcome in the church. But what are you going to tell them when they show up? Are you going to preach the gospel? Are you going to confront them with their sins? Tell them about their crucified and risen Savior? Or are you going to tell them that, oh, don't worry. God's okay with everything you want to do. If it feels good to you, that's okay. Just go right ahead. Well, Jesus will baptize it later. Anyway, <clears throat> it's the fifth Episcopal diocese in the country to leave the church's national body, which is part of the Worldwide Anglican Communion, congregations in San Joaquin, California, Quincy, Illinois, Fort Worth, Texas, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, also left the church in recent years. The South Carolina Diocese had prepared a uh, rewritten constitution after removing all references to the Episcopal Church and declared itself extra provincial, uh, an extra-provincial diocese with Lawrence as its bishop on Saturday. We pre uh, preceded the Episcopal Church Convention, uh, spokesman Brian Hunter was quoted as saying, um, <clears throat> uh, he, uh, he recalled that the Diocese of South Carolina formed in 1785 and joined other earlier dioceses to form the U.S. Episcopal Church in 1789. It's similar to the Articles of Confederation. The states were uh, sovereign states before they were uh, in the United States. The most reverend Catherine Jefferson Shorey. <clears throat> yeah, right. Uh, the presiding bishop sent a letter to the diocese last Thursday uh, writing that she wanted the diocese to remain part of the church. Your presence adds to the ability of this community to discern the will of God. Really? <laughs> Why don't you listen to him? And repent. Anyway, the ability of this community to, uh, to discern the will of God, even if you disagree vehemently with one another, uh, a resolution passed by a particular general convention, wrote Shorey, never in the history of Christianity have all the faithful agreed about everything, and I doubt very much that we will come to full agreement about everything before we join the saints in, in light at Jesus' second coming. 
Yeah, see, the issue is is that based on the theology that she holds, it's highly doubtful that she'll be joining the saints in light when Jesus comes in glory. Anyway, responding to Shorey's letter, Hunter had told the Christian Post that the the diocese had already disassociated from the organization, that Shorey's authority held no jurisdiction. We disagree with her statement that a diocese cannot leave uh, the Episcopal Church. It's It's in error historically, canonically, and under the civil laws of the state. In the letter, Shorey also noted that Lawrence was found guilty of abandonment, or urging that, uh, arguing that it was her canon- canonical canonical responsibility to restrict Lawrence's power as bishop. Bishop Lawrence has extended uh, an extended period, sixty days, in which he can repudiate those charges. And I stand ready to respond po- uh, positively to any sign that he has done so. Wrote Shorey. So with about 2 million members, the Episcopal Church is the 14th largest denomination in the United States. Well, yeah, yeah. well, let's see, 2 million members minus however many left from South Carolina, as they should have. So that, that's about the only sane thing that I've seen lately. And uh, so pray for the, uh, the, uh, the Anglicans who have left the uh, Episcopal Church USA, the ones in South Carolina, for very good reasons, and this is what we ought to do. Uh, when when the Antichrist takes over your church, you just don't want to hang around and let him continue or her continue to uh, dictate <clears throat> his or her terms uh, for the church. You know, Christ is the head of the church, not Catherine Jeffers Shorey. And uh, God the Holy Spirit has made it clear that homosexuality is a sin, not something to be embraced uh, instead, it's in, in fact all uh, sinners, whether heterosexual or homosexual, whether it doesn't matter what their sin is, they're to be confronted with their sins, called to repentance and faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And any church that is basically telling uh, people that, oh, that, listen, that's okay, just do whatever you want, that's not Christian. And that leaves them dead in their sins and leaves them unforgiven and leaves them heading towards hell. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button. Follow me on Twitter, my name, my name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. I think I had some Dame Bramage from that XP Media piece. I'm going to go have my skull examined. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio.
The holiday travel season is now upon us. It came out of nowhere, didn't it? But listen, despite the fact that it comes up so quick, the last thing you want to do is pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. That's why you want to utilize Pirate Christian Radio's longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, for all of your holiday travel needs. Visit our website first, though, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap and you'll find a promo code there that'll help you save an additional $15 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Write down the promo code then click on the ad banner and book your holiday travel uh, arrangements uh, using their website. Very easy to use, very inexpensive. You save an additional $15 and by visiting our website first and then writing down that promo code a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. So again piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code click on the ad banner and save lots of money on your holiday travel needs okay we're back hour number two of fighting for the faith sermon review time we're going to be going back down to cooper city florida to potential church they've been demoted from a church to just a church in potentia let's see if um Troy Grambling has learned how to preach a Christmas sermon yet. Um, last year, he preached the worst Christmas sermon in the history of the church. Um, we'll see if uh, he does any better. Hang on, let's cue this up and do this right. The good, the bad, and, uh, well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service, although it's not Christmas. It's not even the Christmas season in the church year. Advent starts at, like, the last Sunday of the month. But anyway, the name of the sermon we're going to be reviewing is uh, Christmas Magic 1. It comes to us via Potential Church. This is a church in Potentia. Troy Grambling presiding, and uh, keep in mind, he just preached this on Sunday, and he took the week off the previous week in order to prepare for the Christmas season and the sermon. So let's see if he has figured out how to preach a biblical text and to preach Jesus from it, because here's the deal. I don't know if you've seen the slogans, but Jesus is the reason for the season. Yeah, see, it's all about Jesus. So let's see if he can find a biblical text about Christmas and make it about Jesus rather than himself. Um, If you're wagering on this particular sermon, um, please don't. Um, The chances of Troy Grambling actually rightly handling a biblical text, especially a Christmas text, and making it about Jesus are, well, slim to none. Um, There's better chance that the Mars rover is actually going to find a Martian settlement out there Uh, That Curiosity Rover, you know. But anyway, with that, let's kill the music. And here is Christmas Magic One, Troy Grambling from Potential Church, a church that's only in Potential. They haven't achieved church status yet. Um, Christmas Magic One. Here we go. No joke. This is from Sunday. It's apparently Christmas really early. I'm surprised they didn't pull out the Christmas uh, stuff like after Halloween. (laughs) 
this is part of the um, sermon. It's all celebrating. Um, <clears throat> have you noticed that this isn't really a, a Christian Christmas carol? Have you noticed that? Good morning and mayor. And, and okay, and boy, it looks like Santa's workshop there at uh, Potential Church. Hey, Christmas. It's not Christmas. Good night. You know, I want to start, if you would, just kind of join me in thanking all the volunteers, all the staff team, been up here decorating and making everything look good. Of course, they've been doing it in all the environments, the students, the preschool, and then all the different campuses in Lima and Pensacola and really just all over the place. So work really, really hard. So we just want to thank you guys for doing that and being a part of that. You know, sometimes people ask, well, why do you start Christmas so early? How many of you have your Christmas tree up and you're kind of rocking? You feel guilty, don't you, coming here? Well, here's the reason we start Christmas so early is because there's a lot of energy around Christmas. You notice that? I mean, that's why the the stores and all that uh, make so much of their income. And if you wait until December, you don't really get the opportunity to leverage that energy to make a difference in the community. I mean, that's what we want to do as Christ followers. What? Where in the Bible it says we're supposed to leverage our whatever for the make the, the in the community? <sighs> it's not about what we do here. It's about being the light out in the world, helping people. Really, how does doing a Christmas series in like middle of November, like the dead center of November, and how does a Christmas making your stage look like Santa's workshop with Christmas trees and all that kind of stuff help the community at all? I, I'm, I'm not seeing the connection. Encouraging people, inspiring people. And so we want to start early so that we have five or six weeks to actually get into people's lives, to get into the community and really, really make a difference. And Oh, boy. Yeah. So there you go. I have no idea how that would even do that. I want to thank you for helping us in that. Now, every year when we kind of kick off Christmas... We spend some time giving you a lot of information. We want you to know what we're going to be doing, why we're going to be doing it, how it's going to be impacting the Isn't your job to preach the word world around us? So you might want to pull something out and write this down. Let me share with you three things that we're going to be doing this Christmas to make magic. Now, I don't know if you've been to Starbucks like... <laughs> I am going to lose it. Yeah. Yeah, really? So three things that you're going to do to make magic. Are we going to Hogwarts? The Christmas cups are out. And if you look at the Christmas sleeve, it says rekindle or rekindling the season. Now, that means that they're copying us. All right. Is that ours is it's making magic. It's believing again. You know, our world's a tough place. A lot of difficult things going on. And sometimes... Yeah, the consequences of sin sure do make things tough. Want to talk about that? You just stop believing. You stop believing in the miracle. You stop believing in the magic that's available. And so this Christmas... What magic is available? Is this a theology based upon secular Christmas movies? We want to spend some time saying, you know what? God's still God. 
He's still in control and he can still do some incredible things in the lives of people. So what we're going to do... Yeah, that's not the gospel. Even though that sounds like some kind of plausible platitude, that ain't the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins and rose again from the grave for our justification. What At Christmas time is the celebration of the incarnation, God in human flesh, right? Emmanuel, God with us. Familiar? Any of that sound familiar to you? For the next six weeks is we're just going to make some magic. We're going to encourage people to. <laughs> You're going to make magic. This doesn't even remotely sound Christian. Believe again. The first way that we're going to do that every year around this time, we ask people to give their greatest gift to Christ. You know, not to Apple, not to Microsoft, not to Toys R Us but to give your greatest gift to Christ. Oh, so you're, you're going to make money magic. Got it. Okay. On December the 15th and the 16th, we'll have our annual Christmas offering. This year we're calling it Reach. We're going to reach into the hearts of people. We're going to love on people. And we're able to do that. By the way, bad combination. Magic and reaching into the hearts of people. I've seen, you know, I've seen stories and you know, movies and stuff like that where the evil witch uses magic to reach into the heart it grabbed the heart of somebody rip it out of their chest while it's still beating that's this this is not conjuring up good concepts in my mind through that offering if you're kind of new to potential there are a couple of times during the year that we ask folks to give above and beyond one is in the spring it's temple centurions it's a it's a one-year commitment to help us launch campuses 2013 we're going to be going to new york so we're excited about that and then the other one is at the end of the year because there's such a big opportunity to love on people in December. So you're going you're gonna to spread your heresy via the multi-site model. Got it. And then in January is when folks say, man, I'll get my stuff together. And they show up. And there's an opportunity to minister to them. And it's the year-end Christmas offering that allows us to do that really effectively. So I want to ask you to start praying now, kind of thinking through, what does God want you to do above and beyond in December the 15th? And the 16th, so that we can make magic this Christmas in the lives. There we go again. Making magic. Uh-huh. This doesn't sound like anything Christians should be doing. People. Now, the second thing that we're going to do, and maybe um, if you've been around here before, on December the 15th, we're going to have like this giant Christmas party. Have you seen the toy store out in the lobby? And they've done a really good job with that. So we're asking everybody to bring toys. Asking you if you can to bring a bike or 10 bikes. Or if you want to. We've had one year, we had a guy give a hundred bicycles because what we're going to do with the bikes, the dolls, the games, and the toys is on Saturday, December the 15th, we're going to have this giant Christmas party for the parents of some folks who have been going through a really hard time, whether they lost their job, whether it was illness, whatever it was that's caused them this financial stress. It's with our ministry partners. We're going to invite them to come. And when they come, here's kind of what's going to happen. Parents will get here. They're going to partner up with a couple of you guys. You'll be their friends, at least for the day, hopefully longer. You'll go over, probably be the student building over there. We'll have it made into this like giant toy store. You'll walk over with them. You'll encourage them. You'll help them do a little bit of shopping. And when they get all the toys that they need for their family, then they'll bring them to another group of us, which will be wrapping. And we'll wrap their gifts. And while we're wrapping their gifts, you and your new friends will be having breakfast. Sometimes you just need to be heard. And it'll be an opportunity for you to just listen to their story, hear what's happened, to encourage them or to inspire them. After breakfast, you'll come back 
And they'll pick up their toys, and of course they'll go home and they'll put them under their tree. Now, a lot of folks have Christmas parties for the kids, and we don't do that. And the reason that we don't do that, it'd be fun to have a, you know, thousands of kids here and let them open the toys and see the smiles on their face. But if we had the kids... Are you going to like get around to actually you know, opening the Bible, teaching God's Word, stuff like that? You see, that's the thing. At the Seeker Driven Church, it's really tough to tell when the sermon really starts. Because like the first part of it seems more like announcements to me than like a sermon. Here, we would be the heroes. They'd be like, that potential church, it's awesome. But we don't want to be the heroes. We want the parents to be the heroes. You've been talking to Clay Nesmith, haven't you? And here's what's going to happen. It's exciting. <clears throat> here's what's going to happen. Those parents, and some of them maybe for the first time or for a very long time, instead of being discouraged at Christmas, instead of feeling like a failure at Christmas, they're actually going to be able to take an exciting Christmas to their kids. And their Yeah, question. Um, will any of those kids hear about their crucified and risen Savior? Just, yeah, legit question since you're supposed to be a church. Sorry, yeah, yeah, you're just a potential church. Sorry. Kids are going to look at them as the heroes. And I believe over time we can break the back of poverty and remind people. Yeah, no, you won't. Jesus himself said that we will always have poverty, the poor with us. Good, good. Yeah, go right ahead. Break the back of poverty. <laughs> right. Your job is to preach the gospel. That where you start in life is not where you have to end up. And so that's going to be really, really, it's going to be fun. We're going to make some magic. So make sure, all right, next week, start bringing the toys online. You can order them however you want to do it. But start. This sounds a lot like the social gospel too, huh? Bringing the toys. And then the third thing, last thing that we're going to do is at the end of the service, you're going to be given an opportunity to get one of these or 10 of these or whatever you want, these little velvet bags. It kind of reminds me of the Grinch in those movies, you know, ha, 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 ha. And inside this bag is a couple of things. The first thing, there's a coin. And this coin says, um, Merry Christmas, Magic Christmas, Potential Church. And this coin is for you to put into your pocket or to put somewhere so that you're reminded to do an act of kindness, all right? So that you're reminded to pay it forward. And in... Also inside this little bag are, are 10 cards. And on one side of this card, it says, tag, you're it. You know, make a magic Christmas. And on the back side of this card, it says, and I can't read the card, so I wrote down what the card said, okay? That's what happens when you turn 45, all right? So it says this, it says, start Christmas magic with an act of kindness. And then it kind of rhymes. From a cup of coffee or a tank of gas to paying for a neighbor's mortgage or simply mowing the, the grass. <laughs> Give a coin with your gift and take a pick to remember. Share online with your friends and make magic this. <laughs> okay, just real quick. Um, this is bugging me. Uh, where's Jesus in all of this? You, you heard of Jesus, right? Jesus is the reason for the... See, yeah. Um, so far, all of your little outreach ideas seem to be sans, that means without, Jesus. How is that really a Christian outreach then? I mean, UNICEF can do this. 
December. So Christmas, all right? December. So what happens is, is you're in line and there are four people behind them. You buy them all a cup of coffee and maybe you ask the cashier to give them all one of these cards. They get this card, they go to Twitter because it tells them to on the card and they hashtag make magic. Now, if you haven't signed up to Twitter, you need to do that so that you can search make magic, hashtag make magic. And you can see all the cool things that God is doing through uh, making magic. This Yeah, I'm going to have to send out links to this sermon review at the make magic hashtag to let everybody know that making magic is not what we're supposed to do. We need to tell people about their savior, the good news of God with us. You know. you, you know, you can Twitter what you did. You can Twitter if you received something. And over the next six weeks, I promise you, this is going to spread. It'll spread to every, because of the internet campus, it'll spread to every continent. It, it'll spread to all the... Sounds like a virus. ...major city. It's going to be really, really cool to see what God does with this. So we've got a really exciting Christmas. How much do you want to bet it doesn't go viral? After the, uh, after the service, you'll be able to, th- these are actually $5. We're selling them. The reason that we're selling them is that the money that we get from these little velvet bags is what we're going to use to pay for breakfast and wrapping the kids' presents on December the 15th. So it's going to be an incredible Christmas. Here's my question. Are you in? No. In for this? No. All right. Because the only way it's going to happen is if we make it happen, is if we... Why should they? ...gauge. Now, here's what I want to talk about today. If you'll pull out that outline that you got when you came in, the statement is right there. We're talking about believing again, but here's the statement. Believing what? ...that I want to make. Christmas is filled with great expectations. Wouldn't you agree with me? I mean, we have... Big expectations when it comes to Christmas, don't we? I mean, we think about the turkey. It's lightly brown. You cut it and steam just comes up. The stuffing is all fluffy and good tasting. The the pig came out of the ground with an apple in its mouth. The kids are sitting there in their suits and ties with their arms crossed, quietly waiting for their peace. The dog lays by the fire. Carolers are outside the door. I mean, right? We have these big expectations for Christmas. You do know you live in Florida, right? Well, you just know the family's going to come. And this time it's going to be awesome, right? The problem is, is that Christmas is filled with great expectations and tremendous disappointment. And you know... And what... Does any of this have to do with Jesus? When you say Christmas, really life is that way, isn't it? I mean, life has all these expectations, all these things that we dream about. But life also has a whole lot of disappointments. I know Christmas is about giving. We just talked about that. But remember when you were a kid and maybe you didn't get the gift that you wanted? Why don't you do this? Turn to the person that's sitting beside you and tell them what was the hottest gift when you were a kid. What was the hottest gift when you were a kid? G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. So by my scorecard, we had like 10 minutes of announcements. They're doing some kind of an outreach thing that talks about magic, but doesn't talk about Christ. Good night. And so his big thought here is, are you ready? Christmas is filled with great expectations and great disappointments. And it's just like life.
I'm not sure what biblical text he's preaching from at this point, but this isn't a Christmas theme in the Bible. In one of the earlier services, one of the earlier services, somebody said an Atari. Any Atari? Any people get Atari for Christmas? How about Nintendo? Or maybe the Cabbage Patch Dolls? Somebody needs to send this guy a set of decent biblical commentaries. How about electricity? <laughs> or maybe an Apple product or uh, an Xbox? Of course, they're probably all over in the student center. Uh, but, and I, I wrote this down in your outline, is that dreams, Christmas dreams, life dreams, they all arrive with a whole lot of pomp and circumstance. Okay, so here's big, you know, kind of dreams always arrive with pomp and circumstance. Kid you not, this is a major point in his sermon. Dreams, whether they're Christmas dreams or life dreams, always arrive with pomp and circumstance. Not sure where he's finding this in the Bible, but okay, can't wait to see what he does. And when the dream begins, there's just all this excitement behind it. Whatever the dream is, we're having a baby, starting a new job, I got the promotion, we're beginning a new company. Whatever it is, there's all this energy, there's all this excitement on the front end. And the birth of Christ is no exception. You got to... No. So, <laughs> so here's what we're doing here, okay? You can see, you can, if you haven't figured out what he's about to do, let me explain it to you. He's, done, he's now going to open up the Bible and try to make the story about the arrival of Jesus fit with his theme. He's not going to actually teach any of the themes from any of the biblical texts regarding the birth of Christ. No, no. Major idea. Christmas is filled with great expectations and great disappointments. Talking about your life. And dreams arrive in your life with great pomp and circumstance on the front end. Just like, well, the dream that God had in sending Jesus to us. You just see where this is coming and where it's going to go. Remember, the folks were waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would throw out the heathen and set up his own government. There were discussions, conversations. They read the old prophet's words. Yeah, there were prophecies. And then you have the birth of Christ. And if you look at your outline in Luke chapter 1 and verse 31, Mary gets visited by an angel. And the angel says, hey, Mary, guess what? God's chosen you. You're going to have a kid. And this baby is going to be the savior of the world. And you're going to name him Jesus. Okay, now just listen to his words there. Okay, he's paraphrasing Luke chapter 1. And the angel saying to Mary, you're going to give birth and your son is going to be the savior of the world. So let that sink in for a second here. The savior of the world. That's a big deal. It's huge. What does it mean? Tell me more about this. Save. Why does the world need a savior? I mean, that's just a huge phrase to unpack, right? Okay. Remember yesterday, uh, Patricia King saying, "Yeah, you know, I've traveled to the future. I've, I've been, I've been to my future life, and yeah, you know, I had these times when God, you know, like He compresses time and like you know, and I, I engage in uh, supernatural travel and stuff like that. And and she just kind of, you know, it's no big deal, right? Okay. okay, Savior of the world. 
the one whom the prophets foretold, the one whom Moses said, a prophet like me will arise, right? That, okay, this is huge. This is a big announcement, okay? We might want to drill down into those details here. I mean, savior of the world? Wow. Tell me more about that. And it's all going to happen even though you're a virgin. I mean, it's one thing to get visited by an angel, That's pretty incredible. But then to have a child as a virgin in Luke chapter one in verse 41, once Elizabeth or excuse me, once Mary. Notice he's not actually taking the time to read the narratives there in Luke. Strange, isn't it? Isn't that what a pastor is supposed to be doing? He realizes she's pregnant. She goes to visit Elizabeth, one of her relatives, who is also pregnant with John the Baptist. And the moment that Mary walks into the room, the baby that's in Elizabeth's womb jumps because there's something special. There's something exciting about the baby that's in the womb of Mary. Yeah, he's going to be the savior of the world. Big deal. It's huge. It's ginormous. In Luke chapter 2, the angels show up and they tell the shepherds. So we're all the way up. He's read two ver- He summarized two verses from Luke 1. And now we're already at Luke 2. I got good news. That's going to be of great joy for all people. That today in the city of David, Bethlehem, a savior is born. A what? Uh, okay. okay, let me see if I got this right. An angel from heaven appears and says, I've got great news for all people everywhere. That would be all it. In Bethlehem, a Savior has been born. That's huge. Okay. Tell me more about this. Who's going to save his people? In Luke chapter 2, Simon, who was a priest. Jesus now has been born. He's a few days old, and they take him to the temple. And when they get to the temple, the priest runs up and puts the baby Jesus in his arms and says, he's the one, he's the anointed. He's going to be the savior of all of Israel. We will see God through him. I mean, think about that. What would happen if the first time you brought your child to church, I ran up and grabbed him out of your arms and held him up into the air like Mufasa? Yeah, that would get my attention. And in fact, the song of Simeon... Part of the, our, our liturgy. O oh Lord, now let us out thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a light to lighten to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Okay, it's a big deal. Okay, you're right. He held up Jesus and it was a Mufasa moment. Tell me more about, that's huge. Tell me more about that. This is the one. Right? And it's like, wow, what in the world? In Matthew chapter 2, some wise men from a long way away come and they bring some incredibly expensive gifts. Yeah, the gifts of a king. Gold, frankincense, myrrh, right? They travel from far away following a star. This is a big... There's something seriously important going on in Bethlehem. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, when Jesus was born, there was tons of pomp and circumstance. There was tons of excitement. There was tons of energy. There was a growing anticipation about what he would do. And for 30 years, you can imagine those shepherds talked about it. Every time the Roman governor would pass some kind of law that upset them, they were kind of like, you just wait and see. 
This thing is about over. And they told their kids and their grandkids, we don't have to wait much longer. We'll be in charge before. Yeah, you're not actually preaching a biblical text now. Long, those dirty Romans will be out of business for 30 years. And after about 30 years, Jesus begins his public ministry. The proclamation is made. The dream is declared. And the, the, the what? The, the dream is declared? The one who gets to proclaim it is John the Baptist. He's out in the middle of nowhere. People are coming from all over to hear him teach. He's baptizing people. And he sees Jesus on the shore. And if you look with me in John chapter 1, look at what John the Baptist says. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, and if you would read this out loud with me. He said, look, the... Okay, so, okay. The, the, the text that you've summarized so far is the announcement to Mary by the angel Gabriel that she would give birth to the Messiah, who would be the savior of the world. Elizabeth's baby, who's John the Baptist, leaps in her womb because something big is going on here. Simeon holds Jesus up after his birth, has a Mufasa moment in the temple, right? And now we've got John the Baptist as an adult pointing to Jesus and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah, all of the passages that you've um, summarized and pointed us to, Troy, great passages, by the way, really make it sound like Jesus is somebody very, very important. Somebody whom we probably ought to be taking some time to pay attention to. I mean, some serious attention to. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, the Savior of the world? Okay. You see, this great setup. I mean, I want to know a lot more about this Jesus guy. I guess I, I want us to do a little acting here, all right? I, I, I want to teach you a little drive. I want you to think about what's going on. They've waited for hundreds of years. Thousands, really. There's been this growing anticipation that maybe Jesus is the one. And you're out there baptizing people. You're hot. And you look up and you've seen. You see the anointed one. You see the Messiah. You yes, I mean, he's doing great so far, right? This is so important. Uh, you see, uh, this, okay. The rescuer, you see your salvation and you're the first one to see him. No one else recognizes exactly who he is. And so with great excitement, anticipation, you shout. He is the one. So I want us to read this again as if we're John the Baptist and we look up on the shore and for the first time in all of history, we see the Messiah. You guys ready? You might want to clear your throat. <clears throat> Do, re, mi. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Look. That's a little Academy Award going on right there. Yeah, it is the proclamation. He's the one. The Right. He's the one. We need to pay attention to that one. Eight is over. The time has come. Yes. Yes. And that happens in our lives as well, doesn't it? No, no. No, no, no. You can't. Oh, I'm Did you see that? I mean, he was doing so well. 
He was telling us about Jesus and just with one quick segue sentence and see Jesus arrives with pomp and and it happens in our lives as well. Oh, which, what does this prove to you? He's utterly clueless that the Bible's about Jesus. He's supposed to be preaching about Jesus, but now he's changed the subject to you and I. Good night. Where we make the proclamation, where we say, I'm getting married. I'm starting the business. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to lose it. Seriously, Troy, somebody saying, I'm getting married is not even remotely close to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, like on the importance chart, I'm getting married is like so unimportant. Look, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You're supposed to be preaching about him. He's the one who's important. You're you're just using the details of Jesus's life as some kind of parallel to the dream coming into our lives. Are you really this clueless? It's going to happen. We're having a kid. And it's not just we're having a kid. It's we're having a kid in February. We're getting married December the 15th. So what? Has been ordered. The prophets did not foretell you getting married in December or having a kid in February. The food's coming. The ring. Oh, it's on my finger. It's, it's happening. We're starting a campus in New York in 2013. It's the... Yeah, the, this is the campus the prophets foretold, right? The, the, the campus that takes away the sin of the world. Declaration. It's the proclamation. It's the commitment that not it might happen, not it may happen. It's going to happen. I'm going to college. Whatever it is, we make that proclamation and we're committed to it. And the moment you make a proclamation, what comes with it? Expectations, doesn't it? The moment you say, I'm getting married December the 15th, the moment you say, I'm having a baby in August, the moment you say, I'm launching a campus in 2013, there come all of these expectations. And the same thing happened to John the Baptist. This is Narcissus, otherwise known as narcissistic eisegesis. We've now taken texts clearly about Jesus, and we found a way to somehow make them about ourselves. See the story of Jesus? Well, that shows you about the things you can expect in your life. You know, the prophets proclaiming you and the pomp and circumstances of the dream in your life. And in Luke chapter 3, we read the expectations that John had when he said, behold, or look, he's the one. Look what, the, look what he says. John says, I baptize you with water, but the one who is coming, one far more powerful than I. And John was quite popular in his day. A little weird, but popular. He says, one whose sandals, I'm not even worthy to untie. Yeah, it is the reason why you think John is so weird because he called people to repent of their sins? Is that the reason why you find it? Because he was obsessed with preparing the way of the Lord and proclaiming Christ. Is that why? Because, yeah, I mean, to a guy like you, Troy, that probably sounds like somebody coming from outer space. John the Baptist probably would never be allowed to speak on your stage at potential church, would he? He says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And here's his expectation. He's coming like a farmer at harvest time. Tools in his hand to separate the wheat from the chaff. And he doesn't just stop there. He goes on. He says he will burn the chaff with an unquenchable fire. And he will gather the genuine wheat into his barn. 
Now, what is John saying? John is saying the Messiah is here and he's going to separate the Jews from the Gentiles. He's going to separate the good from the bad. He's going to separate those of us who are going to rule from those heathen Romans. And not only is he going to separate them, he's going to burn them up. He's going to completely destroy them. That was John's expectations. It's done. The Romans are through. They're out of power and we're in. And they're going to get punished. They're going to get... That's what the... The problem is... Yeah, there's some debate as to whether or not that's exactly what John the Baptist was alluding to. Because remember, he came in the spirit of Elijah. And so he was literally sent by God. He's the last of the prophets. Uh, He wasn't preaching what was in his own mind. He was actually preaching the word of the Lord. So yeah, you're, 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 you seem to be engaging in a little bit of historical eisegesis. Yes. What you're saying is true in general of the general expectations historically of those living in Judea at the time. But I, I think there's a case to be made that that's not exactly what's going on with John the Baptist is going to do. He's going to set up his kingdom. And so John and all the people, they had these tremendous expectations of what Jesus would actually, actually do. Well, we have the same kind of expectations, right? Seriously, this is messed up. How is it that you on literally in one breath can be talking about Jesus and then flip that and talk about our lives as if somehow the the life of Jesus parallels the great story that's going to happen in our lives you have got to be kidding me you get married don't you have some expectations it'll be awesome all this kissy kissing seriously you took the week off last week the week before in order to prepare for this sermon right did you find any Bible commentators that pointed out how this pattern in the life of Jesus is exactly what we should expect? You know, the dream arrives with pomp and circumstance, but then things don't live up to our expectations. Which Bible commentator said this? Which Bible scholar has, which church father preached this? I have sex in the morning and sex at lunch, and sex at nighttime, three or four times on the weekend. I'm going to be with them all the time. Gonna be with them during the day, and I'm gonna sleep with them. I'm gonna vacation with them, and maybe if I'm lucky, I can even work with them. Ah, it's just gonna be awesome. I talk to people when you first get before you get married. You're filled with what marriage is actually going to be. When you get ready to start a business, you got all these expectations. Oh, we're gonna have so many customers, so many clients. I've already ordered extra product. I know. I mean, the moment we open the doors, people are just going to run in. We need to start looking for a bigger building right now. It's going to be, I'm going to be rich. Let's go buy a Ferrari. Okay, come on. This is, this is going to be incredible, right? We have these, when you have kids, it's going to be so much fun to watch them sleep. It's going to be so cute when they poo-poo. You feed them, they get a little of that cute food on their face. All these expectations. I remember when Steph and I felt God nudge our hearts into ministry. And I I never really paid attention to what a pastor did or didn't do. I had these expectations. Um, Based upon your inability to rightly handle God's word, that was not God nudging you into ministry. Sorry. No way. Of of what it was going to 
of what it was going to be like. See, I, I thought that, that everybody wanted the church to grow. And then, and then I realized, well, not everybody wants the church to grow. I mean, I thought, every, you know, it's heaven or it's hell. I thought everybody would want everybody to go to heaven. But what I realized is that some people want the right people to go to heaven and to hell with the rest of the people. Right? Well, we wanted the mystery. How do you expect? Really, I haven't met anybody that believes that way. Not one person. Who would the right people be? Everybody would come on time. They'd sit in their chair and smile, open up their Bible. I thought the preaching would be incredible. The money would just flow towards the needs. We all have expectations. <laughs> the money would just flow towards the needs. <laughs> yeah, quick. Put something in there that sounds like it's not coming to me. <sighs> so do you. I don't know what the dream is. I don't know whether it was a business or college. Or what does your dream or my dream or anybody's dream have to do with Christmas and Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Nothing. Marriage or kids or ministry. And I don't know what the dream is in your life, but with the proclamation always comes expectations. But here's the problem is what happens when what you're expecting to happen doesn't happen. What happens when reality doesn't match your expectation? We get disappointed, don't we? And that's what happened to John the Baptist. What John... Uh. Okay, I'm going to freak out. thought the Messiah would do is not what he did. And if you look in Luke chapter 7, look at what John does. It says the disciples of John... The what? Okay, now we're hopscotching. Okay, so we got a verse from chapter 1. We got another verse from chapter 1. Then we got a verse from chapter 2. Then we fast forwarded to what? 4 or 5. And now we've hopscotched to 7. This is not how you preach the Bible. Notice who's in control of the story. Troy Grambling is. Shock, right? Yeah, because if he actually were to open the Bible, start reading it and exegeting it in context, all of the biblical theology would be against him and his personal theology. And he wouldn't be, he would have no ability to preach the kind of message he's preaching right now. Baptist started to tell John about everything that Jesus was doing. Now, John thought that Jesus was going to set up a kingdom, put the Jews in charge, and burn up the Romans. But Jesus doesn't put the Jews in charge, and he's healing the Romans. He's bringing them back to life when they're dead. And so they go to John, and they tell him this. Let's go to the next verse. So John called for two of his disciples. Now, you know why John had to call for his disciples? Because he's in jail. Yeah, and if you had actually read the text, everyone would already know that. See, you, you, you're, you're laying it down on them like, oh, did you know why they, why they John the Baptist had to ask two of his buds to go and talk to Jesus? Because he was in jail. Well, if you do your job and actually preach the biblical text in context, you know, starting at the beginning, working your way through the middle, go all the way to the conclusion, they'd already all know all of that. He's in prison, and the reason he's in prison is because one of the kings... Uh, did something very immoral. And John stood up and he said, you know what? That's not right. And the king said, hey, I'm the king. I'll do what I want to. You're in jail. And so, yeah, that's actually not what he said. John finds himself in jail and he calls some of his disciples and he says, man, I've been hearing about what this Jesus is doing. He's not putting 
us in power. He's not destroying the Romans, he's healing them. Uh, yeah, this is a dialogue that does not exist in the New Testament. And he asked them to do something. He says he sent two of his disciples to the Lord, to Christ Jesus, to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? He says, I I want you to go and I want you to ask Jesus, is he the one? It's like John the Baptist says, this can't be right. This can't be right. I'm in prison for doing the right thing. Um, But he didn't say that. Jesus is not empowering the Jews. He's not destroying the Romans. He's healing. This can't be right. If this were right. Yeah, but he didn't say this can't be right. I wouldn't hurt so bad. Uh, it doesn't mention how, how his feelings were hurt. I mean, if this were right, it wouldn't cost me so much. I, mean, I wouldn't be feeling so much pain. Uh-huh. Wait, where is he? I mean, who wrote this bit, by the way? You? I mean, it's not there in Luke. It wouldn't be so difficult. It wouldn't hurt. Oh, yeah. Oh, poor John the Baptist. Nice little, I mean, this is a nice little monologue that you've written into the Gospel of Luke. Is it in the margins in your Bible now? Because, I mean, how would that work with the verse structure, too? I mean, that would be a little awkward. Um, maybe, maybe you hang it in there with a paper clip. You know, the missing, the missing monologue of John the Baptist. You know, I've discovered something about dreams. Dr- yeah, please, tell us more about dreams. You're supposed to be preaching about Jesus and you're talking about your dreams. This is what Jesus warns about. You know, a blind person follows a blind person. You know what ends up? What happens? They both end up in a pit. Clearly, Troy Gramling is biblically clueless to the fact that this text is about Jesus. That's what the whole point of the Gospel of Luke is to tell about Jesus. And so, but he, he's completely clueless about this little hermeneutical fact. And so now we're just looking at the pattern here, you know, that we start off with these dreams of great pomp and circumstance, but then, you know, things don't always turn out the way we expect them to turn out. I mean, our expectations hit reality and then we experience pain, just like, just like. John the Baptist did in in my newly written Gospel of Luke, modified with the missing monologue of John the Baptist. And dreams cost more than you want to pay, so they bring pain. And secondly, dreams take longer than we want to wait, so they bring a sense of impatience. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, where did you get this from? Were, did you have a bad experience with pizza the night before you preached this? And it come to you in a dream. It was the ghost of Christmas never coming who visited you. <sighs> and because dreams bring pain and impatience, a lot of us put our dreams in the closet. Because it's like, you know what, I've been there, done it. I don't, don't want to feel that. I'll just kind of live my life. Oh, no. This is horrible. I mean, the, oh, you can't experience Christmas magic if you put your dreams in the closet. Cost more than we want to pay, and they take longer than we want to wait. Happens, doesn't it? Happens in marriage. You got all these expectations, and then you say, I do. Come home from the honeymoon, look at your wife. She snores. 
He farts. What does this have to do about Jesus? You're like, uh, this is just not so romantic. Where's all the kissy kissy? I mean, it's real life. You're tired. You're worn out. You're going to work. You're coming home. You're walking the dog. And all of a sudden you're like, this, this, what's wrong? I must have married the wrong dude. This, this, is, this shouldn't be like this. And you keep working at it. Man, why does it hurt? Why does it got to be so difficult? There must be something wrong. This is not what I was expecting. This is not what I thought it would be. Come on. Cry me a river. Serious. Like, who is entitled to having their dreams come true? God, man, we, we were following you. We were doing what you ask us to do. Oh, so that's how it works. You follow God so that God will make your dream come true. That's the, that's the wage for your good works. Got it. Why does it hurt? Why is it so difficult? Because you have no clue what the Bible's about, sir. That's the reason why. Poor Jesus. There he was hanging on the cross. He, he had such different dreams. He, he dreamed of making a difference in the world. And there he was being crucified. How awkward. How sad. He had such high hopes at the beginning. There's the Savior of the world now being crucified. What a failure. <sighs> happens in business. Got all these expectations. And then you're like, why are my employees stealing from me? Where are all the customers? Because they're sinners in need of a savior. That's what Jesus came to solve. That's the problem. And why does the banker not give a care about whether I succeed or not? <laughs> Why should ah! happens with kids instead of watching them sleep they never sleep do you stand in front of the mirror and tell yourself how wonderful you are just like um Stephen Furtick and Joel Osteen I suspect you do that poo poo's not quite as cute when it's up on your face sometimes as kids get older they push back they rebel they walk away and you're like, this, this can't be right. And I, I brought those kids up to know God. We sacrificed for those kids. We loved those kids. We were always there for those kids. I mean, why does it hurt so bad? Why is it so difficult? Why does it seem to be such a struggle? Why is this, why is this so hard? I know when Steph and I went into ministry, we had all these tremendous expectations of what ministry would be. But you come to that point, and you're like, man, I, I didn't know. I didn't know it'd take so long. You know, we've talked about being a multi-site church, 50 campuses. You're going to have 50 campuses spewing this vile venom of false teaching and narcissistic eisegesis? I don't think the planet could survive such a thing. We're on our way to eight. There's so much energy and expectation. You're already up to eight campuses spewing this Garbage? Huh. Hundreds of people wrote their name up on this platform on the weekend we announced that vision. But I don't know it takes so long. I didn't know it takes so long to get everybody going in the same direction. To get every- You're not the Messiah. Everybody excited about the vision. To get everybody to buy into the vision. To get everybody to be a part of the vision. To get everybody to give and to sacrifice. And it seemed like it was going to be so easy. When we first announced the vision, 
the story of the birth of Jesus isn't about your so-called vision. I, I didn't know ministry was going to hurt so much. I mean, I, I didn't know. Because one of the things about being a pastor is God gives you a pastoral heart. And, and what that's... Really? I, I'm assuming that would also include a firm, burning desire to rightly handle and preach God's word. Since you don't seem to have that, I don't think you've been given a pastoral heart. What it simply means is, is that you, the desire to shepherd people, to love people, to challenge people, to inspire people. And when they walk away, walk away on you, walk away on the vision, it hurts. I didn't know it hurt so bad. I didn't know that no matter how many people you reach, that when there's one that walks away or one that gives up or one that surrenders or one that stops dreaming, I, I didn't know it hurts so bad. And some people walk away and they say hurtful things. I, I didn't know that was a part of it. I think for all of us, there is this tremendous proclamation and we've got all of these expectations, but there are times in our lives when reality doesn't match the expectation and we get disappointed. And when you get disappointed, you tend to drift. And when you drift, you just kind of start doubting. And all of a sudden you're like, man, I don't know if it'll ever happen. I don't know if it was ever supposed to happen. I don't know if anybody can ever have a good marriage. I, I don't know if anybody can get their kids going in the right direction. I don't know if anybody in this economy can actually start a successful business. You just, just start doubting. You know what happened to John the Baptist? Look with me again in Luke chapter 7. Don't miss it here. So John called his disciples and he sent them. Look at the question he told them to ask. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we look for somebody else? What, what's, what are they saying? They're doubting God. He says, I, I, I thought he was the one, but if he is the one, why am I here? If he is the one, why do I hurt so much? You need to go ask him because I got a lot riding on this. I'm about to lose my head. I've given up everything for him. You go out and you need to go out. And again, notice that apparently this story is all about, you know, so that Troy Gramling can look at how difficult it is for him when somebody doesn't buy into his vision. The fact that he, he really wanted 50 multi-sites by now, but he only has eight. Oh, yeah. It's like the same thing as like John the Baptist went through. Totally missing the point. This text is about Jesus. I want to know. He began to doubt whether or not he was even God. You ever been there? I know I have. I'm like, man, God, I, I, don't, I don't understand. I don't understand how we could leave everything. We could leave everybody. We could give everything. And it could still hurt this much. It could still take this long. Never been there. What's even more amazing is that you have a mega church and people think that they're hearing God's word from you. Because they're not. That's the even more amazing thing. Like, man, I don't even know. Does God even exist? I mean, if God's real, then why has my kid got this disease? If God is real, then why has this happened to my family? I go to church. I read the Bible. I put some money in that bucket. I pray to him and he lets this happen to me. I mean, can he really even exist? 
And when we start to doubt, we, we drift, right? When Ron reads your Bible, it doesn't make any kind of difference. Why be faithful to his house? It was just a bunch of people gathering together. Why give if you can't really help anybody? And that's where John was. He says, I want you to go ask him. I want to know. And maybe that's where you are today. You're just kind of at that place and you're here, but there's something, you just, man, I don't know. I am disappointed. My life is not what I thought that it would be. I'm not experiencing what I thought I would experience. God put a dream in my heart. Oh, cry, cry me a river. Serious. (laughs) My life isn't going the way I expected. God put a dream in my heart and it just hasn't shown up. (laughs) My life isn't worth living because... My dream is taking too long. Pastor Troy, can you give me some hope, please? Narcissistic vomit. He put a desire in my heart, but somewhere along the way, it didn't happen. And and now I'm doubting. You know, the thing about doubt. Maybe you should be doubting. You should be doubting, period. What kind of God do you believe in? Who is your God? Sounds a lot like you. And disappointment is you lose your passion. You lose your energy. You lose your excitement. You lose your willing to sacrifice. You say, man, how, how, Boy, how many times have we heard him talking about willing to sacrifice, willing to sacrifice? It's like a subliminal message. And, you know, you know how they do subliminal messages and marketing from time to time. It's like, you know, why do I feel like there's a money hook here? How do I get that back? And I want that back because when you launched the business, it didn't matter how many hours you had to work. It didn't matter how much of your own resources you had to pour in. It didn't matter what kind of sacrifice you made because you knew where it was going to end up. You knew what was going to happen. When you had that child, you gave it everything you've got. You stood beside them through everything. When you got married, you... I cannot believe that this is a Christmas sermon. Now, God admit, it's better-ish... Then last year's sermon that he preached that we reviewed where he won the worst East Christmas sermon ever preached in the history of the Christian church. Uh, this one's just a little better than that one, but this is a close second. We're all in, but somewhere along the way, it didn't happen the way you thought. And when it doesn't happen, man, you just kind of, I'm not paying that price anymore. You lose your passion, get bitter. You lose your relationships because nobody wants to be around somebody like that. You're like, how do I get it back? You just got to believe in the dream again. I want it back. I want to be willing to do whatever it takes. I want to believe that God can do in a moment what I can't do in a lifetime. I want to do that maybe today is the day, but you've quit believing that it could happen today. And you've started believing that it's never going to happen, that it's never going to take place. I mean, how do you get it back? How do you, how do you believe again? And I think that Jesus answers, answers the question for John. Really? So Jesus' answer to John is uh, the solution so that we can believe in the dream again. Oh, man. You might not see it right at first. Troy, serious. You need to listen to me on this. If you do not repent, if you do not repent of this narcissistic nonsense and repent and be forgiven and preach the biblical gospel, you will spend eternity in hell. The Jesus you believe in, the Jesus you're preaching, is not the biblical Jesus. You are sending yourself 
and all of your listeners who are lapping this up, thinking they're being fed the word of God, you're feeding this poison to them and you're sending yourself and them to hell. This is crazy. But you might jot these down. And Luke chapter 7, and we're going to look at it in a moment, but, but write this down first, is that you have to stop worrying about what to do if God doesn't and begin planning for when God does. You got to stop planning. You got to stop thinking about what you're going to do if God doesn't. And you got to start planning for when God does. Look at how Jesus responds to them. John's two disciples, they found Jesus. I don't think they were looking very hard. Can you imagine to want to go up to Jesus and ask Jesus if he's really Jesus? I think they were like, oh, I hope he don't turn me into a frog or something. Because look what they said. They said, John the Baptist told us to come, Jesus. We think you're the man, but John the Baptist told us to come. And he wants to know. Again, he's not actually teaching the story. He's ripping little verses out of context and he's retelling the story, recasting it completely. Complete with with dialogue and monologues in there that aren't even in the text. If he was doing his job of actually preaching the word, everybody would already know everything that's going on up to this point in the story. And he wouldn't have to fill them in. And his little bits of information, they're not really even close to what's really going on in these texts. Are you the Messiah that we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? And look at how Jesus responds. At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their disease, their illness, their evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. And then he told John's disciples, he said, I want you to go back to John and you tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. And if you read the very next verse. Right. And the whole point of that is that the answer is yes. He, Jesus, is the Messiah. Tell us about that guy, the savior of the world, the one who was promised by the prophets. Tell us about him. Stop telling me about some dream that you think that God put in your heart. He says, I want you to go tell him what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Now, Stop right there for a second. Let me see. Let me walk through that litany again. What did Jesus tell the disciples of John the Baptist? The blind see. Really? Wow. This isn't the day before the, the breakthroughs in medicine. We're talking 2,000 years ago. They didn't have doctors and the Mayo Clinic and things like that. So Jesus restored sight to the blind. Wow. That's huge. The lame, they're walking? Seriously? How did that happen? Lepers are cured? Whoa. The cure for leprosy is what, 1,900 years away from this, this moment? And Jesus is curing them? The deaf are hearing? The, wait a second. The dead are being raised. Oh my. This is important stuff. Who's doing all of these things? It's Jesus. I might want to learn more about that guy who can make the blind see, the lame walk, cure lepers, give hearing to the deaf, raise the dead. Because, you know, I'm not getting any younger. Not at all. 
I'm going to be dying if Christ doesn't return sometime soon. There is a grave with just waiting for me, just waiting for me. Don't know where it is. Don't know where the final plot is, but it's there. And there's a stone that's waiting to be carved and waiting to be carved with my name on it. I, you see, death is coming for me and it's coming for you. And you're saying that Jesus can raise the dead. Now that is a man who seems to have the solution to the problem that I'm really facing. Can you tell me more about that guy, the one you said is the savior of the world, the one whom the angels announced and said it was good news and great joy? Seriously, if he can raise the dead, maybe there's hope for someone even as sinful as me. But what is he going to do with this here? You think Troy Gramling's going to tell us about the guy who can cause the blind to see, the lame to walk, the lep- cures lepers, gives hearing to the deaf, and raises the dead? You think Troy Gramling's going to tell us anything about that guy? Well, this sermon isn't about that guy. This sermon is about you, not Jesus. The very words that he uses are very, very important. And what Jesus did before he said those words are important because what Jesus was doing is Jesus was fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy. Hundreds of years before this moment, the Old Testament prophets prophesied that the Messiah would do those very things. Right. The who, the what, the Messiah, the Savior of the world? What's a Messiah? Make the blind to see, the deaf to hear. He would raise the dead, preach the good news to the poor. And and so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, you need to go tell John that the Old Testament prophecies are being fulfilled through me. Now, that- why do you think Jesus was having, was telling John's disciples that? Because do you think Jesus knew exactly how important he was? It's important because this is the way I wrote it down in my journal, is that God's faithfulness in the past is evidence of his faithfulness in the future. What? He says, you go tell John that all those prophecies he read in the Old Testament are being fulfilled today, and they should bring confidence that if I did what I said I would do then, I will do what I say I will do now. What are you talking about? That God was faithful in the past and God will be faithful in the future. And it's that confidence that causes us to believe again. In your dreams, not in Jesus. When I get to that point where I'm like, God, man, I don't understand. This hurts. I start intentionally thinking back to when Tyler was first born. He was... Uh, very premature, and his heart rate fell, and Stephanie's blood pressure went up, and the doctors are running around. Now we're talking about Troy. You see my point? I mean, Jesus basically says, I fu- I'm fulfilling the prophecies. Listen to what I'm doing. These are huge miracles that confirm that Jesus is none other than God in human flesh. We might want to be paying attention to Jesus and Troy's big takeaway is, well, that shows that God's faithful in the past, so he's going to be faithful in the future. And now he's lo- launched into a story about his life when things didn't meet up with his expectations and his hopes and, and the pain and the suffering that he experienced as a result of that. This story has nothing to do with that. 
and everybody's freaked out. And I think, you know what? God was faithful because they're both still here. When we were going to plant that church in Little Rock and the denomination decided at the last moment that they didn't want us, I'm reminded that while the denomination didn't want us, God did want us. And he- yeah, I think the denomination probably had it right. It's, it's clear they saw that you were not capable of rightly handling God's word. He didn't just move us to South Florida. He gave us a, a promotion. That, that God's faithful. And that that faithfulness in the past is evidence and confidence that he will be faithful in the future. Yeah, faithful to the dream he's laid in your heart, apparently. The enemy just tries to rob all those memories from you. That's why it's so important to journal. To- the, the, what, the what? The enemy wants to rob memories from me. Huh? Write down the things that God's doing. See, a great contingency plan is not the pathway to success. I say it like this. I'm not saying... Uh, what? A great contingency plan is not the path to success? What are you smoking? This text isn't about our path to success. This is about Jesus. We don't need to prepare. But what I am saying is that you don't need to prepare to fail. You need to prepare to succeed. When you read the scripture, it is a reminder that God does what he says. Not always the way that we think that he's going to do it. He took the people of God from bondage to the promised land. But the scripture says that he did it the roundabout way. And there are times when God takes us the roundabout way. But I want you to understand, he always gets us to where he said he would take us. He is always faithful. And where exactly is he taking us? Here's here's the second thing. Remember what he said? He said, I want you to go tell John what what you see and what you hear. I wrote it like this. You need to listen to the testimony of others. The word testimony means something that serves as evidence. He says, I want you to go tell John what you're hearing. That you just heard a blind man say, I can see. That you just heard a deaf man say, I can hear. That you just heard a dead young lady say, I am alive. I want you to go tell John not just what you've seen, but I want you to go tell John what you've heard. We've got to listen to God's faithfulness in the lives of the people around us. On Friday, we had the opportunity to, uh, we were at the, the... You are utterly, utterly clueless. You have no clue how to handle God's word at all. PBN stations here in town. I don't know if you're familiar at all with Christian television. Probably not. But the TBN story is an interesting story because... TBN as in Trinity Broadcasting now the uh, all heresy 24/7 channel the one that has basically steals money from people promising them God's blessing if you send in a seed offering to them that that TBN Paul and Jan Crouch went the heretics Paul and Jan Crouch from nothing to one of the largest TV conglomerates in the world secular and uh, Christian. I mean, it's incredible what God's done. They've got... No, 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 Don't you pin this on God. No way. You don't get to pin TBN on God. Nuh-uh. TBN is the work of the devil. God has nothing to do with it. It does not preach the biblical gospel, and it is sending people to hell. Like 20, I don't know, stations, and and then or, and then they've got, I don't know, 30 actual... I don't know how all TV works. I just know they got a bunch. All right. I mean, they have, it's a tremendous, they're all over the world. I know when I'm on TBN, 7 million people hear what I have to say. 
Oh, great. My point made, exactly. It's, it's all over the world. It's, it's an incredible deal. And we were, we were doing a little TV thing, and Paul Crouch was there and his son Matthew. And he got to talking about the early days. Miami was the third station they bought. Like I said, I think they got 30-something now. But he said that when they bought their first station, they had enough money to operate for three days. Now, if you and I were going to give them a little bit of advice, we'd say probably don't open until you have more money than three days worth. Three days. He said on the third day, he got discouraged. (laughs) You know, they had put everything in. They had put all their savings. They're young. They have a lot, but they put it all in, put their house up. They put it all in. And he told Jan, he said, I'm going to pray. But he said, in reality, he was going to pout. And he just got out of there and God kind of, you know, broke his heart. And he just decided, you know what? I'm not going to quit. I don't understand why it's so hard. I don't understand, but I'm just not going to quit. And when I look. Okay. The story of John the Baptist and his uh, sending his disciples to ask Jesus if he's the one has nothing whatsoever to do with Paul and Jan Crouch. Nothing. And see that. On the third day, they didn't have any resources to continue. And today, they have one of the largest TV conglomerates in all of the world. I am reminded... Yes, they are the largest peddlers of heresy on the planet. Okay? By the way, okay? Who's the the guy who owns Fox? Uh, Rupert Murdoch, right? Rupert Murdoch, he owns Fox and he owns Sky and in Europe and stuff like that. Rupert Murdoch is the number one distributor of pornography on the planet as a result of his television conglomerates, right? Okay, and that's nothing compared to TBN. TBN is the number one distributor, not of porn, but of theological porn, theological filth and disgusting heresy. And the thing is, is that on the, on the disgusting chart, pornography ranks second to heresy, not first. Did ...that God is no respecter of persons. And what God did in Paul Crouch's life, God will do in my life. God will do... God did not do that. Again, don't you be pinning the success of TBN on God. Ugh, no way. In your life... Man, we don't need to look at one another's lives and get jealous. We need to look and say, you know what? God is still in the business of doing the miraculous. God. <laughs> there's, there's not a single redeeming quality of this so-called Christmas sermon. Is still in the business of doing in a moment what you and I can't do in a lifetime. But you just can't. That, that, that is not in any of these biblical texts. Now you're just winging it and spewing forth your own homespun heretical venom quit. You just can't give up. You just can't surrender. You can't pull over to the side. I love being around Joel because when I'm around Joel and who, and especially when he talks about how they got that building, Joel Osteen. Yeah. You do stand in front of your mirror and tell yourself how wonderful you are. Now I know it for sure. And they're having church today in the basketball arena in the middle of Houston, Texas for seven. That's not church. A million dollars. That's a big Sunday narcissism fest. That's less than what we paid for this building. We got gypped in the deal. But every time I hear him tell that story, God did it in his life. God will do it in my life. 
You, you, so you're going to blame God for Joel Osteen? God doesn't love him more than he loves you. God oh, man. Just as faithful to you as he hits to him. He just didn't give up. He just didn't quit. He just didn't stop. And it's not just the stories of people that we don't know. Sometimes it's the stories of those that are right around us. Ann Sommer works in our office. She's from Trinidad. She went to a Muslim school. She went to mosque when she was growing up. But her mom was a believer. And interesting enough, she, she used to watch, Ann said, she used to watch TBN. And actually, you know, give resources to it. And she would pray that one day her daughter would, would trust Christ. Now, why it's important for me to tell you that she watched TBN and contributed to TBN is because when Ann moved to the United States of America, Ann first saw a potential church on TV. She came to church the very next weekend. God began to work in her life. And in just a matter of weeks, she had trusted Christ and then followed him in baptism. See, I don't know about you, but I just wonder if when her mom was watching those shows, when her mom was giving her resources, when her mom was praying that her daughter would trust Christ, I don't know if she ever thought that one day her daughter would not only trust Christ, but that she would serve on the staff team of a local church making a difference around the world. But that's what God does. God does exceedingly more than you and I can even think. And what God did in the life of Anne and his mother, her mother, God God will do in your life. God is faithful. Yeah, I don't know how he's done it. I mean, seriously. Last year, uh, we reviewed the worst Easter sermon ever preached in the entire history of the Christian church. That's the number one spot. This is now officially number two. Troy Gramling single-handedly has two sermons in the top ten of the worst Christmas sermons ever preached in the history of Christianity. That is quite a feat. And then the last thing that I, I want to share with you, and Steph's going to come out and join me because we want, I want to share with you from our heart how we're doing this verse right here. Jesus looked at him and he said in Luke chapter 7, blessed is the one, the word blessed means happy. Happy is the one who does not lose his faith in me. He says, you go tell John, don't give up. You go tell John, don't quit believing you go tell John that his circumstances may seem very difficult right now. Cue sappy music. This is for emotional manipulation. Um, despite what they will tell you, that God the Holy Spirit has not just suddenly arrived in the auditorium. But not to give up and not to quit that there is a blessing on the other side of where he is today. It's a choice. Oh, good gravy. You know, he lost his head and just like very shortly after that. I mean, that may not be. We want a feeling. I want to feel like I believe again, but it's not a... Believe what? Feeling, it is a choice. The word believe in the New Testament is the Greek word pistuo. You know what it means? It means to rest in. It's basically like sitting down. Right now, I'm resting in this chair. Well, actually, the way it's used means to trust or to believe. <sighs> If the chair goes down, guess what? I go down. But I've got complete confidence in the chair. I could go to sleep in this chair. But a lot of us live our Christian life like this. Ooh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The reality is, if the chair wasn't there, you'd still be standing. See, what you're doing, you're doing in your own strength. You've never stepped out far enough and said, you know what? If God doesn't come through, I'm finished. Oh, good night. See, the thing is, the good news is that Jesus actually came through. He was crucified. 
He was dead, stone cold dead, beaten, bruised, scourged, nailed to a cross for your sins. And he died. He had a Roman spear thrust into his heart cavity and out came water and blood. He was dead. And it looked like there was no hope. You know what? On the third day, he rose again bodily from the grave. Death could not hold him. He defeated sin, death, and the devil for your salvation and mine. Not so that we can believe in some dream that he put in our heart. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God's going to put a dream in your heart. No, so that you can be saved from the wrath of God that is soon to be revealed on earth. If God doesn't come through, we're not going to make it. If God, see, and why don't we? Because we don't believe. Somewhere along the way, we think we've got to protect God. So we want to convince the world that we believe in him when in reality, it's within our own strength. And what I want to challenge you. What does, none of this makes any sense. It's what Jesus challenged John that day. He said, you believe in. Uh, Jesus didn't challenge John. He comforted him. And belief is not something you say. It's something you do. It's an act. Uh, I don't think this guy has seriously, seriously taken hermeneutics 101, like systematic theology or a good dogmatics course. This guy has no clue what Christian theology is. And so if you look at the last part of your... And there's his wife. Your outline there. I want to fill in those last blanks. And Steph and I are going to tell you how we're... How we're going to do this this Christmas is, first of all, we believe in God's providence. That what you sow is what you reap and that God will take care of you. (sighs) What you sow is what you reap. That's the law. That's not providence. That's karma. We believe in the next generation that the best is... Oh, I'm glad you believe in the next generation. Great on you. How about do you believe in a crucified and risen Savior? who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave on the third day for your justification, who was born of the Virgin Mary. That's a Christmas sermon. And we, we believe in you, this family. Oh, you believe in them. We call potential church. And so I'm going to ask if you would to just kind of think, what do you believe in? We believe in God's provision. And Steph, share with us how we what Yeah, that yeah, we do believe in God's provision. You know that what you sow is what you reap. And that's not God's provision, that's karma. Yeah, you, you heard of karma? <laughs> you get what's coming to you. Good night. You know, as as Troy and I and our family begin to pray over the past several weeks about uh, what God wanted us to do for the reach offering, what he wanted us to sow this Christmas season. And there's the TBN heresy right there. Um, God just kind of began to nudge our heart to give $10,000 above and beyond our tithe to go towards the reach offering and then something else I'm going to tell you about in just a second. Now, many of you may remember back a few years ago for our our Gift Revolution Christmas series, Troy and I gave $10,000 so that we could give every person at every campus a dollar. It's kind of a a series similar to what we're doing this year. Now, God put that on our heart back several years ago, and we didn't have $10,000 just sitting around that we could give. 
have. So what we did is we went into our retirement account. We took that $10,000 out and we gave every person at every campus a dollar. Well, you know, over the past few years, God is blessed and we've been able to save. And as we started praying this year, you gave everybody a dollar. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) Thanks. God, what do you want us to do? What do you want our family to do? And, you know, uh, he, he just put on our hearts. I want you to give all of that savings. Now, we tell you this because we want you to know we go through that same wrestle, you know, praying through it, wrestling through it. God is- yeah, the, the reason she's saying that because she wants people to clean out their savings account and give it to them. Really what you want us to do? But here's the thing. We're doing it because we know that because we do believe in God's provision. No, you don't. You believe in karma. You know, we have seen over and over and over in our life, in the life of our family, where when we were obedient, whether it was giving or serving or whatever God put uh uh-huh. obedience, right, uh-huh. In our heart, when we were obedient, God provided. And so uh, we're giving that, knowing that God will provide. You know, um, Steph told me not to tell you, but for me, I, I just, uh, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> Because this is taking a lot longer than I thought it would. And it's hurt a lot. Yeah, he's really hurt. They're not up to 50 multi-sites yet. It's really hurt him. Oh, man. More than I thought it would. Maybe you just haven't sown enough. And there's a part of me that gets frustrated about that. He's, there are tears in his eyes. No joke. And it feels good maybe when in the moment you do something to walk away and still have confidence that it wasn't in vain and that God really will do what he said he would do. Maybe God didn't tell you this. And we have chosen that no matter what we feel, that's the side that we want to be on. And I, that's the side I want, I want you to be on it. If you will go ahead and kind of open this up, if you haven't already been a bad person and in trouble. He's really sweating too. Makes me wonder if they're in financial trouble there. Santa for opening the do not open. Be careful. This is like a dream sheet, okay? Oh, no. A dream sheet. This is not a commitment card. It's not anything we're going to take up. At the bottom, there's a place for you to write the magical things that God does this Christmas. Uh. (laughs) And then at the top... There's a place for you to kind of dream this stuff with Steph and I. We've had a head start. We've been dreaming and praying and wrestling with this. But it says, I believe in God's provision. What I sow is what I reap. If you believe what you sow is what you reap, that is not God's provision. That is karma. And I am choosing. And then there's a place for you to write in. What are you choosing to give towards that Christmas offering? I mean, what would you, what, what do you want to do? What do you want to break out with? How much do you believe him? Oh, so if you have a dream in your heart, you got to pay for it now by doing the karma, sowing and reaping thing and giving money to them. Write something down there and, and start saying, God, that's what I want to do. God, I want, and just wrestle with that. Like I said, this is for you. This is your dream sheet. Yeah, right. It's for them. Because he really believes that if you sow a large amount of money to potential church, that God will reward you with, with, with making your dreams come true. 